You don't want to talk about the Vikings anymore? It's I weird. don't. Just kind of, it sounds like you're kind of changing the subject. Um, <laughs> I'm getting pretty good at it. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is September 22nd, 2020. Happy first day of autumn. And I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm feeling great. I'm ready to podcast. I feel like my podcasting arm is stronger than Drew Brees's arm right now, which is not really saying anything. But <laughs> podcasting arm. Yeah, what's a podcasting arm? <laughs> you know, it's just the strength of my podcasting. You know, very metaphorical today. I love it. Um, that other voice you hear is 538 contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. How's your Hi. podcasting arm today? Uh, well, you know, I don't know what it is. So, <laughs> so good. I mean, you mean my voice? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it seems good. It, it's really, it's, you know, it, it just you know like what you, you wanted you, to hear it, Jeff. You wanted to take a shot at Breeze. I did want to take a shot at Breeze. Yeah. Um, which I, I was respect. trying to be timely. I, I was respect. trying to be relevant. You know, since you're at the end of these intros, it's sort of like Sarah introduces me. I say, how are you? She says, how are you? Then introduces you. And then you guys have this like long ranging, you know, fun conversation. I don't get to, which you're have a part the fun of. Conversation. You're a part of. That's a three person conversation. Sparingly. It is a sparing contribution for me. That's, that's it. Next week, I'm just going to say my name and stop <laughs> and then see what happens. You can introduce yourselves, whatever. <laughs> Okay, but that just means Jeff and I are going to talk about hockey. Well, actually, we should talk about hockey right now. Right, no, we how are, you, <laughs> how are you feeling about this uh, about this Stanley Cup final that we're two games into? There's just so many sports right now. I'm, I'm feeling better about it now because uh, you know we we had we had said that maybe Dallas was not necessarily a um, uh, a championship caliber team. Uh, they've been outscored going into the Stanley Cup final. And then they came out and they won game one uh, in convincing fashion. It was like, oh, what's happening here? But sanity was restored somewhat with with Tampa winning game two. I um, I, I want to say to all you Dallas Stars fans out there who take exception with true things being written about your team. Maybe don't get mad at the writer and start a Twitter wow. war against him. So, That's just so, rude. So let's get a little backstory here. He he didn't. They didn't take too highly to five thirty eight. They uh they don't they don't like the numbers that take down their arguments about their team. <laughs> <laughs> Which you know I I get it. I'm again I'm sure that I'm not talking. None of those fans are listening to this podcast because our podcast listeners would never attack a 538 writer on Twitter. No. Never. And they, Never. And, they, and they they know about goal differential. They, they know do. about quality they start percentage. All they these do things. know about quality start percentage. You are right about that. <laughs> on today's show, we'll check in on the injury-filled week two of the football season, and we'll boot up Hot Takedown's official football survivor pool. We'll make some picks for week three that we definitely won't hold over each other if they turn out to be wrong. We'll also check back in on the NBA playoffs and specifically look at the Lakers, what we think about how they've performed so far in the postseason and why our model is so skeptical about their chances. And finally, we'll have a special guest join us to take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week.
There's a lot to dissect from the second week of the NFL football season. There was the Russell Wilson-Cam Newton duel that ended for New England at the one-yard line. There were a couple of big leads blown by Detroit and Atlanta, which is very strange. that They've never done that before. And there Not was yet... <laughs> Closers. And there was yet another big comeback by Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. But the prevailing theme of the week was injuries. So many players got injured this week. The Broncos lost their starting quarterback. The Giants and Panthers lost their star running backs. And the 49ers lost their quarterback, running back, and two key defensive players. It was bad. The rash of injuries might just be down to rotten luck. But Rob Ninkovich said on ESPN Sports Center that it feels like 2020 is at least somewhat responsible. When you look at just injuries in general, I think that the first two weeks of the season, we've seen a lot of injuries and a lot of big injuries, which maybe could question has the offseason with not having team organized activities where you're going in and working out with your team and doing all the squats and doing because most of these guys, you know, they're working out. Everyone's working out because it's the NFL, but Mm -hmm. they're not all in in the same protocols. They're not doing the same thing as a team. And look, I mean. There's going to be guys that are going to be working hard, harder than others, and other guys are going to have gurus that say, oh, don't squat, you know, just use the bands or something. So, you know, for me, I just think that it could be just general conditioning of each player that could play a part in some of these injuries. So it is obviously impossible to say definitively what's behind these injuries. But, Neil, is there a reason to think that the fragmented offseason and lack of a preseason had something to do with this? Well, certainly people are bringing that narrative up because this has just been such a weird off season and such a weird lead up to the season. I personally am maybe a little bit skeptical of that uh, because you, you don't tend to see these types of players, the starters, certainly not the stars, certainly not starting quarterbacks really even play that much in the preseason at all. Um, so I don't know how much that really factored in maybe some of it is the more convincing explanation that I've heard is just that because of the truncated off season, they didn't really have a chance to do, you know, a uniform regimen of working out and, and kind of training as a team until later uh, in the, in the off season. And so maybe that contributed, maybe there's a conditioning factor there, but I mean, I don't know, it's, it's week two of the season. I know that week one had, you know, uh, a good number of injuries. It was more than there were in the in week one of the past couple of seasons. And then, of course, it just went off the charts in week two. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not totally sure what is behind it. Uh, and if it's just almost like bad luck as much as anything. I think, um, you know, injuries are uh, are strange in general. Um, and it's hard to say anything definitive ever, but there was, you know, there was some warning before all this happened that, you know, I think it was the NFLPA was pointing to the lockout year and and then there was a lot of injuries there and a lot of people thought this would be worse. And people even specifically were predicting that uh, there'd be a lot of soft tissue injuries, um, meaning injuries to ACLs, um, ligaments, that kind of thing, Achilles, and and look what we've seen. We've seen multiple players blow on an ACL. We've seen Marlon Mack with an Achilles tear. So there easily could be something to it. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure how it works. I mean, I think it has to do with the quick ramp up, the the zero to sixty, rather than getting your bodies like gradually in in NFL game shape. 
So I, I, I would believe I would buy it if, if there actually is a, a pretty strong connection going on here, because because without a doubt, it's been a terrible year for injuries up and well, down. So but that so this week was horrific and and big names, too, which I think is part of the thing. But the week one was not week one. So. Football Outsiders, friend of friend of 538, they monitor injuries during the games and keep um, keep running lists of them. And they've done that for several years in a row. So by their count, there were 43 injuries on Sunday. Last week, week one, there were 31. So that's a pretty big increase just from week to week. And you would expect injuries week one, wouldn't you? I, like, I'm not sure how another week of training and games, you know, there's a little bit more distance then between the like ramping up thing. But I wanted to look back at what the injuries were like in previous years. Again, this is just like the, that website tracking them. So it's not necessarily a, you know, definitive. And and how do they define it? Are they, are the players who leave the game because of injury or, or players who were out prior to the game because of injury? So this is players who left games, not the injury report before games. And it um, and I did not count guys who left and came back um, just because like if your injury was, you know, fine, you came back. People are playing hurt all the time. Right. So I just counted the guys that left and did not return in that game. Um, And so I didn't check to see like how bad the injury was going forward, just if they left the game. Um, So. In 2019, week one, there were only 24 injuries and week two, only 22. So that was quite a bit lower even than week one of this year. In 2018, there were 27 injuries in week one and 29 in week two. So that 31 is a little bit from week one of this year was a little bit closer to that. Again, this is not like statistically significant, like, and, and I have, and the methodology for reporting them is not, you know, is not necessarily consistent, but I do think that 31 of week one was a little bit more in line with what we've seen this week is the week. That's the like crazy outlier. Um, So I I don't know. I'm not, I just, it's, it seems very hard to make a, make a conclusion from that. But we really want to, I mean, I think that uh, (laughs) you can see that in the idea, you know, a lot of people pointed immediately after the 49ers lost so many people to injury about the turf at MetLife Stadium and we're saying, oh my God, the turf, you know, uh, and I instantly thought of the U.S. Women's National Team, you know, they they have been fighting this battle over not having to play as many games on turf for years and years. They've said that it increased injury and the, uh, you know, in this particular case, the players are like, oh, something feels off about this. So that's, you know, kind of a compelling narrative. The Jets are perennially one of the most injured teams in the league i don't have to tell you that jeff uh yet at are the same they, time they just have play they just have bad players i mean i don't even know at this point it doesn't matter uh, <laughs> are they bad are they just hampered by injury but then but then the league looked at it uh afterward and they were like oh there's actually no issues with the turf so oh, I, I, that awkward. was another um uh, another example to me of sort of like I don't know what to make of it. I don't know whether we're trying to spin narratives onto something because it, you know, seems to make sense, but it's not necessarily backed up by the data. Cause like you said, Sarah, there's also that narrative about the the ramp up, but then why didn't we see more injuries in week one and, and not week two? Why did it wait a week? I don't yeah. know. Well, remember last, last year, week two was the week that all the quarterbacks got hurt. Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger. There was like a ton of quarterback 
injuries, although there weren't that many overall injuries, it just seemed like a terrible week because of all of the all of the quarterbacks getting hurt. So football is a violent sport. It's <laughs> I think it it's turns not out. great. Yeah. Well, all right. So let's talk about the the effect of all of these um, injuries. The Niners lost not only a bunch of everyone. players. They lost. Yeah, everyone. they lost everyone. Um, and they lost guys who were you know kind of high impact players, particularly Nick Bosa. Jeff, how bad is this for them? <laughs> they also lost their quarterback. I mean, um, so, <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, kind of a game manager type. So not, you know, you don't think of it like a, like a, like a death blow, but yeah, it's, it's bad. I mean, I, you know, look, I think injuries are, the Niners had a lot of injuries last season and overcame it, but this year it, it feels, or this game in particular, um, I mean, you have Nick Bosa, but you also have um, Solomon Thomas who tore an ACL another starter at, on the defensive line, you've got D Ford who was hurt. Um, George Kittle, their star tight end at a certain point, even teams that are incredibly well coached like San Francisco and have so much roster talent and good depth. There's only so much they can overcome. Um, and in this case, they seem to be the ones, I mean, Nick Bosa alone is a huge loss, but in conjunction with those other players on both sides of the ball, it, that's bad. It's it's not good. I mean, I, I think they'll still be a competitive, solid team. Richard Sherman is also out. So, I mean, it just goes on and on. So, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, he's missed time before, obviously, for the Niners. Is there – what does our model think of him, Neil? Does it – like, do we think this will be a big blow to them, given what his ratings are in our model? Not necessarily. Um, I think uh, the the value of Jimmy Garoppolo in our model has been a point of uh, argument and contentiousness. We'll just say <laughs> over the past couple of years, uh, because uh, you know they had this great season, they went to the Super Bowl, and yet, really, our model never really thought of him as being much more than uh, an average quarterback uh, throughout all of that. Right now, uh, his his ELO rating is the lowest of any starter in the division, uh, well below the average for the division. Um, so obviously we think Russell Wilson is better, but also Kyler Murray and Jared Goff, Jeff's favorite Jared Goff, uh, is better than Garoppolo. So in that sense, yeah, I mean, it'll have an effect because Nick Mullins is lower rated than Garoppolo. Uh, and if you just look at their next game, if uh, Garoppolo is playing, we would give them a 72% chance of winning. But with Mullins starting, we only give them a 64% chance. And I got to say, there are a lot of starting quarterbacks in the league that where there would be a larger drop-off than just that um, eight percentage point difference. Um, if you lost, say, a starting quarterback who maybe threw three interceptions and completed at 11 for 26 of his passes and was maybe sacked for a safety for a second week in a row... Would wow. there be a big drop off wow. to like just a generic wow. uh, backup after the, that? Just the joy you, know. you have in in being right <laughs> about your own team's quarterback. Look, I don't want to be right, but I am right, and that's what's important. Sarah is talking about Kirk Cousins, just for the record. <laughs> and I'm I just want to take a moment to, as Neil is an Eagle fan, 
Sarah's a Viking fan. I'm a Jet fan. I just want to take a moment to appreciate how horrible our three teams are right now. Oh, and six. Every single one of them has a point differential of 26 points or higher, which is really almost very close to the three worst marks in the league. Houston Texans minus 31 is number one. But besides for that, these are these are teams not playing great football at the moment no it's these are dark dark times for but but, your hot but take down hosts. Who, has a, who roots for a team that was supposed to be bad that was already the laughing stock of the league so <laughs> i i come out on top here yeah i think you're right jeff i, I think I, and you know what i think the eagles you know given all the the offseason uh losses and the offensive line and injuries and everything i, I think the vikings have less of an excuse to to be as bad as they are I think when you pay your quarterback and running back exorbitant sums of money and, and don't pay like, I don't know, a secondary, um, here's where we are. And, uh, you know, not really that surprising. Um, all right. So let's use this to move on to a new feature on hot takedown. We're going to start a survivor pool. Uh, since we're going to be talking about this weird NFL season, you know, obviously all season, we thought we'd we'd spice it up a little bit. And uh, yes, we're starting in in week three, which is and weird, it's also but, it, it's also not really a survivor. You pool, know, but... like let's not let's let's just you know calm down about the rules here. Um, we needed a couple of weeks to figure this out anyway. So so no, we're not. It's not going to be survivor. No one gets kicked out because there's only three of us. So then what would that mean exactly? Um, just no pretty, segment for the rest of the season. Right. <laughs> be pretty or lame. Pretty one fast. person making their picks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, so no one will get kicked out, but we will get points for being correct and just no points for being wrong instead of booted from the league. So each one of us will pick a team each week that we think will win its next week's game. We cannot pick the same team uh, among the three of us in any given week, and we can't pick the same team individually over the course of the season. We can only pick a team once. All right, so our producer has randomly determined the order we're going to pick in, and then we'll um, we'll switch this up every week so everyone gets you know a fair shot. So the order this week is Neil first, me second, Jeff last. Ha ha. Um, and yeah, all right, Neil, who do you have for your first pick in our survivor <laughs> pool? <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, I was trying to think it through. I think my strategy uh, right here, especially since we're we can't just like any survivor pool, we can't reuse the same team. But you know, we're not knocked out permanently if we um, if we lose once. So that takes a little bit of the pressure uh, off to some mm -hmm. extent. But you know, I'm just looking at like normally you would want to save good teams for the end of the season. And so that's what I'm I'm trying to find the matchup that has the highest chance of going in my favor while also not using up a good team. And so I'm filibustering right now as I'm trying no, to uh, work through. <laughs> Pick I'm going to take the, the Indianapolis Colts against Jeff's Jets. Feel good about that. Oh. Feel good about picking against the Jets. And I didn't have to use up. Because, like, I don't know. I mean, the Colts, they've looked you know, okay at times. They've also not looked so great at various times. So I'm not worried about burning them. I'm taking the Colts. Wow. That's a no brainer. Okay. You just, we could have just assigned you the Colts and just jumped right to Sarah. <laughs> well, it's just like, who, who are the Jets playing this week? It's like a nice rubric for this. Um, I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans. Ooh. 
playing your Minnesota Vikings this week. <laughs> oh my goodness. See, it's, Sarah's going to exploit this on because... The wait, on the road at the Vikings? They're only... Wait, the, Sarah, this they're... isn't a good pick. This is a good pick. The Vikings are terrible. They're going to lose a, a lot of games. And the tight... This is a good pick. Get this... I like this pick. That's why I'm saying you're exploit you're exploiting this. There's a rule that you can't take the same winner uh, multiple times, but there's nothing that says that you can't take whoever the Vikings are playing every single week, right? I mean, I mean unless look, it's a we're repeat gonna pick, in the division. I mean, obviously, we're going to be picking against the Jets and the Vikings this year. I mean, these are bad teams. That's Hold how on. you do this. You don't get to just lump the Vikings in with the Jets like that. <laughs> You're not. Don't belittle <laughs> my pain like that. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jeff, for belittling your jet, your hard-earned. I'm just telling. Pain. I'm gonna come out firing shots if the Vikings win next week, <laughs> and I'm also gonna fire shots if the Jets win too. Because uh, yeah. that was gonna happen anyway, Jeff. <laughs> I will rally, rally. All right, who you got in our pool? Is Anthony Bar- Anthony Barr's out for the season too? That's, sure is. That's a bad yep. hit. That's a bad yeah. hit. I know. Um, well, I wasn't expecting that. So um, I I thought about taking the Browns over a football team. But <laughs> then again, they are the Browns. Yeah, you might want to take football team over Browns, frankly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I have to start at my starting point. I'm tempted by the charge. You know what? I'm going to go with Kyler Murray and the Red Hot. Arizona Cardinals over the That's Lions. Yep. I think Detroit's defense is awful. And I don't see Matt Patricia lasting the season, much like no. Adam Gase. So I, I can't see them winning. The Cardinals look good. Legit good. They, they are, do. Uh, I think yeah, I kind of didn't want to take them because I wanted yeah. to save them. Potentially. I know, me too. I had them in my, they were one of my last two choices, and I decided to save them for later in the season. Well, do they play the Jets? I mean, do they play the Vikings? That's the real question. <laughs> That's a good question. That's what I really need to do. I need to spend some time with the Vikings schedule. <laughs> or do they um, play the Jets? Those, yeah. Again, the relevant questions. All right. So Neil has the Colts. Sarah has the Titans. Jeff has the Cardinals. And we'll see you next week. All right. Let's leave our NFL discussion here for now. We will check in on our picks next week. We'll take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about the Lakers. We are now well into the NBA Conference Finals, and they have been so entertaining. On Sunday, Anthony Davis hit a buzzer-beating three-pointer that put the Los Angeles Lakers up 2-0 over the Denver Nuggets. We'll talk about that series and, and what's going on in the East with the Celtics and the Heat, too. But first, we want to dig into why these Lakers don't inspire as much confidence as a team led by LeBron James and AD maybe ought to. On his podcast, Bill Simmons had some strong aesthetic reasons not to back the Lakers. I can't, it's not hard for me to dislike a Lakers team, right. but I really dislike this Lakers team. It's such a fun team to sports hate. Yeah. Like that, they're the only team that's heckling the other team's free throw shooters from their right. bench and doing shit like that. Right. And Dwight Howard, who is my least favorite player of the 21st century, mm-hmm. um, he comes in, he's roughing up Jokic left and right, elbows, shoulders, shoves committing like five fouls per possession. Yeah. And then when they call a foul, it's like, what? Oh, yeah. What do you mean? Foul? Yeah. It's like nobody <laughs> on the Lakers has committed a foul this entire season. I've never seen a team bitch about more calls. Could and then they... J.R. Smith, who was washed up three years ago, 
you know, he's on the side like fucking Bobby and Cobra Kai. Like, <laughs> ah, get him a body bag. It's like, JR, you, you were done in 2017. Right. Go away. First of all, a guy from Boston not liking the Lakers is shocking. (laughs) But no, he just hates this team, not in general. No, he also in general hates Yeah, I was going to say, this is like, (laughs) I don't know, what makes this team particularly hateable for for Bill Simmons is a little confusing. Yeah, nothing. Um, But Simmons isn't the only one who doesn't love the Lakers this year. Our model seems to kind of hate them, too. Our model has been steadily less impressed with the Lakers ever since the playoffs started. Neil, what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little confusing. So um, the thing that we have to talk about is, first of all, how our model uh, makes the predictions inside the playoffs. Uh, and what it does is each player has a playoff adjustment that builds off of what they did during their regular season and kind of adjust their rating up or down. And it's based on what they've done in the past in the playoffs, but also based on how they've been doing in these playoffs. So, you know, the Lakers came out of the gate. Maybe they struggled in that first game against Portland, you know, didn't look so great in the, uh, in the, in the seating games uh, necessarily. And so I thought at first like, Oh, well maybe we're just over waiting this year's playoff compared with previous years. And once there's more of a sample, you know, they'll kind of gain in, in rating strength, but that hasn't exactly happened. And the big reason why is this other thing that we have, which is, uh, so we use Raptor ratings, which I think we've talked about and we've devoted many episodes to it. The last time we talked about it was our ill-fated live from the Sloan conference episode that happened on the eve of coronavirus. Um, But uh, basically Raptor uses uh, every stat that you could think of from, you know, basic stats to player tracking to on versus off, you know, lineup data, uh, adjust it for the strength of competition uh, that a player faces and score effects and all kinds of things like that, and comes out with a rating for each player based on how well they've played. Well, that sounds, you know, somewhat straightforward, but there's actually two versions of Raptor. The, the version that we have on the site uh, that that you can kind of go and look up under our player ratings interactive is the ba- more backwards looking version of Raptor, which basically just says like, how well did you play? And we'll give you credit for things that might have been luck, but since they actually happened, you get credit for it and the team gets credit for it. And, you know, those are where the ratings come from. But there's underneath the hood, there's actually this other version called predictive Raptor that tries to downweight the things that are more shown to be based on luck and upweight the things that are more persistent. It also uses like biographical data about players, you know, things like height, weight, draft position, you know, things like that. Also minutes per game. So none of that stuff is included in the backwards looking Raptor because it's really more about like accomplishments. Like how have you done? Whereas the forward looking one is trying to say, how will you do? And usually there's like, a huge correlation between the two. I think it's like 0.97 or something like that um, between predictive Raptor and actual Raptor. But it, for the Lakers in these playoffs and also the Bucks, uh, which is interesting, the Bucks lost and made predictive Raptor look good, but the Lakers are making it look bad because they have this huge gap between their predictive Raptor and their actual Raptor. In fact, it's one of the largest that is on record uh, since 
that we we incorporated the uh, player tracking data into Raptor. Uh, it starts in the 2014 season. The Lakers have the fifth biggest gap among any team that played at least 10 playoff games. The Bucks actually were second uh, <laughs> in, in that gap, uh, and and it it really makes a difference of night and day between especially on offense. If you look at the predictive version of the stat versus the you know non-predictive version of the stat, the backwards-looking version. Uh, the backwards version thinks that the Lakers have been about six points per 100 possessions better than an average team on offense in the playoffs uh, after adjusting for competition. That's not great compared with other teams. For instance, the Heat are higher. They're plus 8.3. But it's in line with what uh, Boston has. It's higher than what Denver has, for instance. But if you look at the predictive version... Uh, predictive Raptor thinks the Lakers have played seven points per 100 possessions worse than an average team on offense. And it thinks that the heat have been 21.4 points per 100 better than average. The Celtics have been 12.3 points per 100 better uh, than average. And the nuggets have been 4.8 better than average. So there's this huge disconnect uh, and sort of like one of these teams is not like the others when we're looking at the the gap between the predictive and the actual Raptor. And you can see it across the board if you go down the list of the players on the Lakers roster and just rattle it off. None of the players on the Lakers have a better predictive Raptor than they have a backwards looking Raptor. Anthony Davis, for instance, is a plus 14 you know, in the standard Raptor, but he's only a plus 10 in predictive. LeBron is a plus nine in the backwards looking. He's only a plus five in the predictive. And it's crazy to see LeBron in that position because usually in the playoffs, his predictive is as high or higher than his, uh, his, his standard Raptor. And that was true during the finals runs in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018. So it's very strange to see uh, a LeBron-led team fall short in this metric and also to see LeBron himself kind of contribute to that. And I'm, you know, it, it kind of defies explanation when you're trying to drill into why it's happened. Like they've mm. made more shots than we would expect based on the locations of the shots. If you look at something like Second Spectrum and their tracking data, but it's not glaring. It's not one of the largest differentials in the league. In fact, Denver has exceeded its um, expected shooting percentage based on shot locations more than the Lakers have. Uh, so I don't have a great explanation for why the predictive Raptors are so different from the backwards looking ones, but that is really at the core of the, the, the difference. And, you know, the Lakers have come out and kind of made that like Predictive Raptor, you know, uh, what's that good for? Because they have <laughs> they've heard exceeded them say that, those actually, expectations. Yeah. Well, they've certainly been chirping enough from the bench. Maybe they said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is on the locker room board uh, for sure. They've printed <laughs> out the 538 model. They've stuck it on the bulletin board. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I hope so. That would be that would be uh, a sign of respect, I think. Yeah, at the at this moment, we give the Lakers a 23% chance of winning the finals. Um, the Heat, 42%. The Celtics, 30%. So the uh, yeah, the combined um, East teams have a 72% chance of winning the finals, which I would short I, that. I mean, you know, sure. I, I would I would bet I would take the Lakers uh, yeah. against those odds. I mean, I think anybody would. I think if we're yeah. being honest. I mean, I think the model before the playoffs only had the Lakers at 
22% of winning the finals. So they've just basically been flat the entire yeah. time. So, yeah, despite yeah. winning two series and that. taking a lead in, a, in another one. Yeah, being just two games away from making the finals, and yet they haven't gone up at all. Yeah. All right, well, let's go back to uh, a, an anti-Lakers stance that is not model-based, but human-based. Um, so, so back to Bill Simmons. Based on the games we've seen in the bubble, Jeff, do you agree that these Lakers like aren't fun to watch? How does their style compare to the other conference finalists? I, I totally get the um I get the narrative. It makes sense, regardless of of, of Bill's uh obvious Boston LA nineteen eighties <laughs> basketball uh background which is glaringly obvious of course he hates the lakers i mean look they have they have dwight howard and they have jr smith are there two more and they have rajon rondo but he uh, contributes uh, to that too but the first two are there two more disliked players in this century of uh 21st century nba basketball i don't think so i mean they're definitely divisive people and especially um the way howard's been used which is to come off the bench and just bludgeon Jokic and <laughs> get I think he picked up five fouls I, I he ended with five fouls in 13 minutes but it, it felt very quickly the first game he I think he had four fouls in, in 19 minutes um so it's clear what his role is and yes they complain about they they foul the other team and then complain that they were fouled and yes LeBron's been doing that for a while um, but all NBA players do that. Yeah, I know. I, that's not that to me is not specific. For that's like saying that is why this team's wide receivers complain about pass interference a lot. Like <laughs> every wide receiver complains about pass interference. Um, but it did seem. To, I mean, you know, there, Bill's not alone. Jamal Murray on, on the Nuggets was obviously uh, saying that the the Lakers are manipulating the refs. Um, I think the second game was exciting. Um, the first game was just a, a series of free throws. Um, they were on the line constantly. But I, I enjoy watching them. I'm also biased. I'm in Los Angeles. And and I know that, you know, I saw how this city reacted when Kobe died. And it was, it was you know, people were devastated. Devastated. And there's a lot of people here rallying behind this team. And, you know, it's hard um, it's hard not to, to, you know, buy into that narrative, to want to see them win, um, despite their general unlikability. And how much of that is like just seeing Davis and LeBron dominate? Uh, I think they're playing better together right now than they ever have. Anthony Davis, you know, this is still his, his debut season as a Laker, as hard as that is to believe, Wild. but, yeah. but he is playing out of his mind. I mean, this is the best he's ever played uh, in his career. And LeBron hasn't really lost a step. Um, this is still like vintage LeBron. And so I think maybe some of it is just sour grapes over seeing like this, this duo kind of come into its own as like an all time great duo before our eyes in at exactly the right time. Uh, so I think that that all kind of plays into it. And yeah, you're right, Jeff, like Rondo Howard, J.R. Smith, like they have a lot of guys on this team that if you're not a fan of the team they're playing for, there are those guys that you just dislike, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I think that's fair. I, I think, though, that like 
those guys are always around. I mean, J.R. Smith's barely even playing. People just don't like him even just his presence on the team and like sitting on the bench and yelling at the free throw shooters. And trash which talking. And, I, and I mean, and Howard too. But, sure. but look, I've said this a million times on this podcast. Sports needs villains. Absolutely. It's more fun when you have villainous teams. The, the Patriots, as much as we all hated on them for a while, and the Yankees likewise, they were good for their respective sports. Yeah, it's interesting, too, that LeBron, like for LeBron to take up the 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 villain mantle. I mean, he's been a villain for some people for the whole time. But, you know, he's the he's the most bankable star of the league. So I kind of like him in that like in that heel turn. It makes it more fun. Let's switch gears briefly to the East and talk about that series real quick. What has struck you guys about? the Celtics heat series the most it's been wildly entertaining so far yeah well the heat uh continue their their strategy of spotting the other team a 15 point lead <laughs> deep into the game and then you know uh it's it's worked for them a few times to come back and you know uh one time it didn't but it was funny to hear Jimmy Butler say like let's knock it off with this stuff. Like <laughs> maybe we could win from ahead at some point I mean it's just a wild you know thought for you guys maybe we could think about it yeah. And there was a lot of um obviously a lot was made of of what happened after the Celtics after game 2 where reports of Marcus Smart throwing a tantrum in the locker room and and a lot of like well I guess they were suspecting there was a lot of internal strife but it seems like normal behavior of a competitive group of men who were angry that they keep blowing huge leads. Um, yeah, it would be interesting right. with with Hayward back. Um, how much of a factor that plays? I mean, his stat line wasn't eye popping, certainly in in Game Three, but um, he, he does add us, I think, another dimension um, to their offense. So, so maybe this is. Um, I think it, it it will end up being a very good series, if I had to guess. Yeah, I agree. I mean, these these teams are both just extremely talented. I mean, the Celtics we've watched this year really, you know what? I mean, Kemba Walker was an established good player, but he's been fantastic. And Jason Tatum is a star and that's been really fun to see, um, to see them grow through the year. And the heat are just, uh, Jimmy Butler's really good, but all of these other players, as we wrote in a story last week, there are all of these non-star players who are having themselves a great year and a great postseason. Um, and it's been fun to watch Bam Adebayo, you know, come into his own too. And both, I mean, both supporting casts have have done a great job. I think the Celtics have four guys averaging at least 20 points per game in this series. And yeah, you'd expect that from Tatum and he's played really well. He's 25 points per game. We're also getting it from Brown and Walker and even Marcus Smart, which is um, maybe a little unexpected to say the least. Whereas the Celtics defense has actually done a pretty good job on Jimmy Butler, you know, holding him under 45% shooting, averaging 17 points per game, which is, you know, a little below maybe what he's capable of. But Bam Adebayo and Gordon Dragic have kind of picked up the slack and they have this other like crazy deep group of guys that could hurt you if you focus too much on Butler. So I don't know. I love this series. I, I thought it was a great matchup going in and, uh, you know, I've been enjoying it throughout. Um, and whoever wins is going to be 
in our model will be the NBA finals favorite and yeah. we can argue with that. But, you know, I think that they're uh, it, it, maybe it'll be a little bit lost because I know the Lakers will be the betting favorite and the Lakers will have a lot of the buzz. This is assuming the Lakers win. Maybe I'm writing off the Nuggets too early like I would have done in the previous series against the Clippers uh, also. And, and they made everyone look bad. But if it is the Lakers, I think they're going to suck up a lot of the oxygen uh, in, in the room. And if it's the Lakers versus the Heat, especially uh, the Heat would would fly in under the radar in that one. But it's a LeBron rematch if, if that's yeah. true. And, and yeah. that would be really fun to see Pat Riley against, you know, the, the star that spurned him and, and <laughs> uh, left the Heat. The, the stories write themselves. All right, let's put this discussion to rest for now. We'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. This week, we are so happy to be joined by 538's fabulous designer, Emily Shearer. How are you doing, Emily? I am doing amazing. Um, the Padres made the playoffs, so I'm doing great. <laughs> yes. Well, and so this is this is this is a rabbit hole today that is more than a decade in the making. <laughs> the San Diego Padres have booked a trip to the MLB playoffs for the first time in 14 years, which is like kind of amazing. That is incredible. Um, you have compiled some Padres things that have happened since the last time they made the playoffs in 2006. Tell us all about it. Yeah. So I think um, an important thing about this is that these are things that have happened with the Padres in the past 14 years since they made the playoffs. It has very little to do with anything that happened on field. Um, <laughs> when you don't make the playoffs for 14 years, that's fine. Like, I don't need to yeah. talk about anything that happened on field because it didn't matter. Right. Um, <laughs> Makes sense. Yes. Poor Chase Headley. Oh, so sad right now. Yeah. So a little background. Um, I am a rare uh, native San Diegan. I grew up there. It's been, yeah, it's been a while since I've been home a little bit given the pandemic. Um, but so I was raised in San Diego Padres culture. But given the state of the San Diego Padres, I defaulted to being a fan of the Boston Red Sox via my parents. Um, but now I am fully ready to come out a blazing uh, San Diego Padres fan from uh, birth. So I think one of the things that I was sort of looking at and thinking about the Padres over the past 14 years is that this is a team that like has really struggled to have an identity. Like, and you see that in sort of what I'm about to talk about in that um, they rebranded like six times in the past uh, since... Yeah, so they first started their rebrand in uh, 2004 when they moved to their new ballpark, Pekka Park. We'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> and they left behind the sort of navy, orange, and white that's sort of really associated with the Tony Gwynn era. And then they moved to this color called sand. And it's basically, like, it's beige. It's beige, <laughs> and it looks terrible on sports team uniforms. I know because my high school basically had this color as one of their colors, and it just looks like beige. So they kept that for like seven years. So they started that in 2004. They moved away from it in 2012 and they had a different change and a different move, which is when the Padres in a decision, I still don't really understand, changed sports networks. And then alongside that, they rebranded into this really generic logo that's like a circle with the SD in the middle of it. No one remembers this because why bother? But in the move to different sports networks, they moved away from one that like most of the county had and 
for a team that is struggling to bring fans in. They moved to a network that like most of the county didn't get. And it took two seasons for um, everyone else to get Fox Sports San Diego. So you basically have two sort of black hole seasons for the Padres. No one can watch us. Whoops. (laughs) So 2015, they got rid of that. They moved to just the SD in blue and white. So like they kept getting more and more generic. Um, And then so 2016 was when San Diego had the All-Star game. So they were like, okay, we're going to rebrand again. We have something happening. And they added yellow into the logo. And then, so they did that. One, these were the jerseys that were in the pitch uh, TV show. Pitch. Where, yes. Yes, pitch. <laughs> pitch is the, the favorite uh, of 538. Oh, pitch. we love it. They mentioned 538 <laughs> they dropped, they named on the show. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. So another sort of encapsulation of the Padres being the Padres is that they added yellow to the team colors as a way to sort of like create San Diego synergy with the San Diego chargers who also had a blue, uh, yellow and white color scheme. They did this in 2016. Do you know when the chargers left San Diego? Uh, January 2017. <laughs> this, was known. this was known and they still did it. It's like, maybe the chargers will stay. Yeah. That was their like <laughs> last ditch effort to keep the chargers. We'll put yellow in our jerseys too. <laughs> yeah. We'll create some unity. Um, so then they abandoned that like immediately. And then that took us until 2020, where they finally brought back, brought back the brown. And that is where we are today. And it's great. It's glorious. Um, fans have been asking for this for years. And they finally listened. And I think this is sort of the clearest sign that we have a new Padres. <laughs> a new Padres that will make the playoffs is that we have a brand new uniform. We have brand new jerseys. We have brand new colors. They're old colors, but they're still a little new. They couldn't get back to the playoffs till they brought back the brown. That was exactly to everything. Clear evidence of yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's six brands and rebrands of uh, various scale throughout their playoff drought, which is like fully not normal. (laughs) Normal good baseball teams don't do that, and also (laughs) most baseball teams do not have six jerseys in their regular rotation, which is sort of the next. thing I dove into which is the San Diego Padres and their love of jerseys to the point where they have so many so the Padres sort of they San Diego has a big military community which has led to the Padres having a lot of different military jerseys so they sort of introduced one in 2007 and after doing an armed forces day for a couple seasons and basically have normal teams have like a military appreciation night Fourth of July, Memorial Day sort of thing. The Padres were like, we're doing this every Sunday. Um, so they did, they started with a camo. 2011, they switched it out for a different military camo. 2016, they brought back throwbacks. Plus they added a different military camo in blue. In addition to the existing military camo. So from 2016 to 2019, they had six jerseys in their regular rotation. The only other teams that really do that is the Washington Nationals and the Minnesota Twins. Woo! <laughs> um, yes. I don't and know so if that's a good thing. Don't just have two jerseys that are basically the same jersey. Um, in that time frame, the Padres had a home, away, the sort of basic alternate, a throwback alternate, a military alternate, and another military alternate. Um, that changed a little bit in 2020 when they went to the Browns, so they didn't need the need for the throwback. Um, 
but they still changed one of the military camos to a different military camo. <laughs> Gotta keep it fresh. Gotta keep it fresh. Gotta get people buying more military camo jerseys. That's actually the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When people aren't coming to the games, you got to get money through different jerseys, new jerseys, new merch, new rebrands, and um, a lot of giveaways and theme days, which is a sort of other key part to the San Diego Padres, is that when they struggled to have a really good on-field product for 14 years, they basically were like, okay, we're going to do it all via off-field stuff. So Peco Park is really nice. I'm a big fan. It's really pleasant. Um, although the last two times I think I've been hasn't actually been for a Padres game. I went to watch the women's national team uh, like watch party there, as well as I went for the Tony Gwynn Memorial. Um, but one of my favorite parts of the Peco Park is that they have, so you have Peco Park, and then you have a public park located at Peco Park called the Park at the Park. And then within the Park at the Park, you have a mini Peco Park um, where kids can play wiffle ball. So you have a mini Peco Park at the park at the park at Peco Park. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> that is incredible. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's just like, sure. With the Padres, it's just like, sure. Go for it. Go with Park it. inside park inside park. I love it. Yes. And then um, we get to, there's a couple different giveaways that have sort of gone viral. In 2018, they gave out beach hats that had like grain beetles in them because why not? Wait, what? <laughs> not great. So they gave out like straw beach hats. And then, um, you know, the sort of like really awful, disgusting bugs that sometimes get in like your flour or like oh, cereal. Yeah. They were infested with those. <laughs> so they basically had to walk around the stadium. <laughs> take them all back and then give you a voucher to get one mailed to your apartment oh i wouldn't trust the yeah with a voucher giveaway right (laughs) i wouldn't trust it not to have more grain beetles though yeah oof jeez um so now i think we go into what i believe sarah and neil have heard many times which is my favorite (laughs) padre's story ever this is like this is great so basically, in 2015, 600 Kristen Orfea Padres bobbleheads appeared in an apartment complex in San Diego. No one knew where they came from. Kristen Orfea um, was traded from the Padres in July 31st, 2014. This happened in November 2015. So a little background on Kristen Orfea. He um, kind of looks like a generic backyard baseball kid. Like the one that's created for the computer opponents teams. And so um, in 2010, he had an inside the park home run, <laughs> which is basically like a little league slash backyard baseball home run where the fielders like don't know what they're doing. And somehow he scores. It's just kind so of like, it wasn't, was it like a ground, years. it was like a ground ball up the third base line or something that like took a weird skip over yeah. the third baseman <laughs> and somehow he scored. <laughs> <laughs> I think it bounced like directly outside the batter's box, then went over the third baseman, then bounced again, and then like got caught in that sort of area where there's like a ball girl and a <laughs> security guard. And so there's like a chair flying as the guy's trying to get it. And somehow Kristen Orpheus scores. 
He led the team in war in 2013. Um, I tried looking at his baseball reference. I have no idea if any of these numbers are good. He had some years. He had some good years. (laughs) Neil. (laughs) He had some years. Is the the best possible way you can say, this guy sucked. (laughs) And he led the Padres in 2013. So they listed a bobblehead giveaway. Uh, sort of at the beginning of the season, July 31st, 2015 or 2014, he's gets traded. Um, then we flash forward to November, a bunch of people find a bunch of Chris and Orphe bobbleheads. So looking at it, there was supposed to be a bobblehead giveaway on September 20th, 2014 player wasn't listed. And then it quietly gets canceled 11 days after Chris and Orphe is traded. And then they replace it with a concert by OAR. <laughs> This is such a such a very 2014 thing. <laughs> it's really amazing. Yes. <laughs> they thought they could sweep that Kristen Orphea bobblehead day under the rug. No I one mean, would notice. Which is better, a Kristen Orphea bobblehead or an OAR concert? I feel like they actually fans came away with something better than anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, the Kristen Orphea bobbleheads, which did go a little viral, um, you. The worth on eBay is $13. So would you pay $13 for an OAR ticket? I mean, in 2014, I might have. Yeah. Unclear. I feel like I would have in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did uh, buy one off of eBay. Yeah, I was going to say, oh, yeah, I was gonna say you own office. this. You do own this. Yes. So that's sort of the real reason I came on um, to talk about the Padres is to talk about the Kristen Orphea bobblehead. Um, but in general, I think sort of looking back at 14 years of the Padres, it's a team that has really struggled to sort of get an identity and a group of stars to rally behind. San Diego is a really tough market. It's all transplants. And so when you're you land in San Diego with a different team to root for. So the Padres really have to sort of make an effort to get you to care about them. And when you don't make the playoffs for 14 years, that is very hard to do. Um, and as a result, it's and it's also a great city and it's a great stadium to see a game, which means that when you live in like a Minnesota, then maybe you want to go to a nice sunny San Diego to watch a baseball game. So you get a lot of away fans who are both visiting and they're also just local transplants coming out to support their original team. Mm. Um, As a kid, I ended up going to a bunch of Padres games because the only way you could get tickets to when the Red Sox visited was that they sold them in a bundle of 10 (laughs) so that you had to go to 10 other baseball games. And it's just also been a really long time since we've had like actually exciting people on the field and fans both like in the city and outside of the city really talk about the San Diego Padres and their stars. I think it's not since the Khalil Green era, who is also my favorite Padres player, um, that they've really had some stars to hang a star on, which is sort of a Padres thing with an old announcer. And now I think things feel really different. I've seen so much chatter on social media through like people I grew up with talking about how excited they are about this team. We've returned to the brown and gold that fans have asked for for years. You have this whole Slam Diego thing, which I think mm-hmm. is so fun for a team that like could not figure out an identity to just be like, we're Slam Diego. We hit Grand Slams. <laughs> great. Yeah. And they're sort of really settling well into the limelight as like San Diego's sole big team after the Chargers left. So I'm, I'm really excited for the San Diego Padres to return to the postseason. And I think it signifies sort of a really 
good shift for this franchise and I'm excited. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like this fan base deserves this. It's been a really long time and and they have an identity now and it's a fun one and they have fun young players who are fun. so I mean, Fernando Tatis is so fun to watch. It feels like they're setting themselves up for like a long run of of success now that they have the right jerseys they're like ready to go <laughs> dare i say 14 years straight of playoffs uh, <laughs> hey don't think this Emily. <laughs> emily's calling i'm, your trying, shot I'm trying i'm trying <laughs> i love that san diego sports curse is like every other city that ha- or like team that has a sports curse sort of has like an inciting incident san diego doesn't it's just like oh eh, they're probably cursed I don't know. <laughs> yeah, not even a specific curse, just like a yeah, that's that feels right. <laughs> that's yeah, the I think I read something think where of it's a like it's the reason. curse of yeah. good weather. So oh yeah. You have all the good weather all the time, so you don't get sports, but like so you don't get to win. No yeah. one cares. I mean, there's probably something to that. <laughs> Who can be bothered yeah. to care about losing? Um, all right. Well, that was so fun. Um we'll cross our fingers for you once the the Padres start their postseason next week we'll see how far they can go all right that will do it for this week's show we will be back in your feed next Tuesday if you like what you heard please subscribe and if you are subscribed please rate and review us in the Apple podcast store it helps new people discover the show you can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett Tony Chow is in the virtual control room and our podcast commissioners, Chad Matlin. For Neil, Jeff, and Emily, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.